We're going to start out tonight in John chapter 18. And then about halfway through, we're going to skip down to Revelation 19. <laughs> so John 18 and then Revelation 19. And uh, I'm thankful for God's word. I'm glad uh, we have the truth. And I am glad that uh, this church stands on it. I'm glad that uh, we preach it. I'm glad it gets taught to all ages. Uh, and I'm thankful that we've got a group of people that are trying to live according to God's word. Uh, there's no better uh, thing that we have. There's no greater uh, There's no greater book in this world. I hope you believe that. And if you do, then get in it. Uh, and uh, I'm thankful that God's given it to us. It's in our language. You know, there's a lot of places that don't have the whole Bible in their language. You know, and I'm thankful we have it today. Uh, but John 18, I'm going to read one verse. John 18, 36 to start us off tonight. Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word tonight. We thank you for being with us already in the songs and the testimonies. We thank you. I thank you for each one that's here tonight. Lord, I pray that you would use me to preach. Lord, that your word would come alive and we could understand it. And Lord, we could apply it to our lives. And Lord, I thank you that uh, uh, you are a good God and a merciful Savior. And Lord, I pray that you would just uh, be with us this time as we uh, break bread into your word. In Jesus' name we pray. And amen. So uh, that passage where Jesus is answering and said, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight uh, that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from hence. So what uh, what we see here is is the, the context here is Jesus is being questioned by Pilate. You know, it's just before the cross. He's standing before uh, the Roman governor. Uh, and the Pilate is trying to determine. He had asked Jesus if he was the king of the Jews. That was the setup there. Uh, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered him plainly and said, My kingdom is not of this world. You know, when you think about it, uh, this earth, uh, the, the nations, the kingdoms, the empires, uh, whatever they want to call it, uh, uh, they basically the same thing, a, a power, a one power fighting against another. There has been constant battles throughout time, you know, for land, uh, for resources, for everything else. And empires and nations have risen and fallen over time. They've grown uh, and then they've shrunk and uh, they've been overthrown. Some have never been the same since they were overthrown. And Jesus, again, he's speaking to Pilate, the Roman governor over Judea, and uh, he is uh, under Caesar of Rome, and Pilate is trying to figure out if Jesus is a revolutionary. He's trying to figure out, are you going to name yourself king? Are you going to call yourself a king and take over and try to overthrow Rome and declare yourself as a king? And I think one of the reasons he's asking this is because that was the that was the accusation. That was what they were, uh, you know, they were saying that he uh, to get him to be crucified. They're saying, hey, uh, he calls himself a king. There's no king but Caesar. You know, they they didn't really mean that. They just wanted to get rid of Jesus. But Pilate's looking at Jesus, a man that does not look like he would call himself a king. Right? He doesn't look like that. He didn't look like a king. He didn't act like one. He didn't talk like one. Uh, and I, I think his question is more like this. Uh, you know, are, are you the king of the Jews? You're the one they're accusing? Or we have some kind of mix-up here. Uh, why are they so worried about you? 
Pilate responded to him and said, Thine own nation and the chief priests have delivered thee unto me. What hast thou done? Again, he's trying to figure out, are you a threat? Are you a threat to the Roman government or not? Uh, And Jesus is plainly declaring that the kingdoms are different. Don't you worry. Uh, The kingdoms of this world, Rome uh, is trying to expand the Roman Empire and take over different things. I'm not doing that. That's what he's saying. My kingdom's not here. It is not uh, of this world. That's what he's trying to make clear. In God's kingdom, he's not looking to battle other nations or overthrow rulers or take on more territory uh, during this time. That's why Jesus said, if my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews. He said, if I were an earthly king, I would not have let them capture me. Right? They, we would have had a battle right there. We would have had a war, uh, and we would have not allowed me to be captured because it would, you know, I would not surrender to that as what it. But then you think about it. When he, uh, when he was arrested, remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, there is, uh, he's been betrayed, and there is the group with swords and staves to capture him. And remember, Peter draws out his sword without, you know, he does things without thinking really quickly, and really he was trying to save Jesus, trying to keep uh, him from being taken, and he cuts off Malchus's ear. You know, I don't know if he was swinging for his neck, but he hits his ear instead, and then Jesus heals it, right? He touches his ear, and Jesus tells Peter, put up again thy sword into his place. And if if he was going to start a revolution, it would have been right there. He would have said, Peter, you know, everyone follow what Peter's doing. But he said, don't do that. Don't do that. I've got to drink of this cup. I've got to, uh, I have got to give my body as a sacrifice for sin. And then finally, Jesus tells Pilate, but now is my kingdom not from hence. Remember the Jews, they wanted a political solution, right? They wanted, uh, they wanted a Messiah that would come in and fix things politically or, or use the political system to fix the spiritual problems that they had. And that's what they wanted in Jesus. But as soon as they realized he wasn't going to do that and that his message wasn't a nation change, but an individual change, right? And he said, you need to repent and come to me and be born again. All of those things were individual things. They wanted him gone. And one of the reasons why I want to touch on this tonight and get into this subject is I have seen lately, uh, I have seen a growth of people trying to almost go back to what they were trying to do then and say, you know what, we, we need to uh, not necessarily overthrow the government, but we need to change uh, the nation from the government down. And I'm seeing it rise up again. But again, I would say beware. This is a mistaken belief. It was a mistaken one for the Jews uh, that you could politically solve the problems, uh, spiritual problems, and it's a mistake today. It is still a mistake because here's the thing. Imagine this, if, if what they're calling for, if we were able to succeed, if we were able to put Christian politicians in every office locally and state and national across the United States, number one, I would say uh, you'd have to be very careful because I've seen uh, politics turns everyone corrupt if they weren't already. You know, if they came in clean hands, they don't tend to leave with clean hands. That's just free right there. Uh, they're all money laundering and everything else, by the way. Uh, but even if you imagined, uh, even if you were to 
be able to get righteous to, and holy people in all the places and, and of government. And you were able to get them to rewrite all of the laws that would mirror the righteousness of the Bible. And somehow you could get really all the Christians to agree what those laws should be. Uh, and then if you could manage to get the whole country to live less sinfully uh, and uh, you could get them uh, to live a little more righteous than they were before by following these laws and then we would, uh, you know, jail and deal with the people that didn't follow the laws. Here's the problem. On an individual level, all you're doing, if that's all you change, is you're getting people that are a little more moral, a little less sinful, are going to be living here but still going to hell. Isn't that the problem? You can't change it from the top down. You can't change it from a rule down or a law down. It's from the heart up. That's how it's changed. And here's the thing. Even if we could do that, they're still headed to hell. Jesus' kingdom, he said, is not going to originate on this earth. That's what he told them. It's not of this earth until the King of kings and the Lord of lords comes from heaven. And we're going to deal with that later in a second, actually. He's not looking to overthrow them. That's what he was saying. I'm not here to overthrow. Uh, but, but here's the thing. Has the passage of time changed? Has, has, uh, it, he was not willing to overthrow then. But what about today? Because that's what they'll say. Mike, a lot of things have changed from when Jesus was talking to Pilate. Not only do we have the cross, uh, but about 70 AD, we've got Jerusalem falling. We've got the temple being destroyed and all those things. Obviously, that they're saying that fulfilled pretty much everything in Revelation. Well, let's turn to Revelation chapter 19 for the second half I want to look at this because this this is important if you if you think uh, for the groups to think we are rebuilding a kingdom or building a kingdom here that means the way their belief is Revelation 19 has already happened now I don't know how they think this but but here's what it says verse 11 and I saw heaven opened and a, behold a white horse and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true and in righteousness he doth judge and make war his eyes were a flame of fire and on his head were many crowns and he he had his name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed in a vesture dipped in blood, and his name was called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it it should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he that hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun, and cried with a loud voice, voice saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven come and gather yourselves together under the supper of the great God that ye may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains and the flesh of mighty men and the flesh of horses of them that sit upon them and the flesh of all men both free and bond both small and great and I saw beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat upon the horse and against his army and the beast was taken and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him uh, with which he deceived the them that had received the mark of the beast and them that worshipped his image these both were cast alive into the lake of fire burning with brimstone and the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse which sword proceeded out of his mouth and all the fowls were filled with their flesh Jesus came the first time as a babe lying in a manger. He's not coming the second time the same way. He was meek and lowly the first time to die on the cross for the sins of the world. But now, uh, uh, in, in, in between, he's, I believe he's coming halfway uh, to rapture his church, to take us home. And I know rapture isn't in the Bible, but translate is. And Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him. Uh, so he was taken up instantly and they looked for him and was not 
not found. Uh, uh, but here's the thing. Halfway, the church is taken out. Uh, we've said it many times uh, that the church is mentioned 19 times in the first three chapters of Revelation, but we don't see them again on the earth until now. Until chapter 19. So he's now he's coming to destroy the wicked, Jesus is, and set up his earthly kingdom. It says, in righteousness, he doth judge and make war. The time for mercy and long-suffering is over. All those that oppose Jesus Christ that are going to go against him, uh, uh, it is one side against another. And then it talks about in 2 Thessalonians 1 uh, and in verse 9, Who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power when he shall come to be glorified in his saints and to be admired in them, all them that believe because our testimony among you was believed in that day. So we've got the punished, we've got the saints, uh, and it wasn't because uh, what split them is because of the believing uh, in Jesus Christ, putting their faith in Christ uh, versus not. And just just like we preach every day, uh, there was a group that was obedient and there was a group that was a disobedient. But now we've got uh, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. His eyes were a flame of fire. He's able to see through the lies, able to see through the, uh, uh, you know, the, the falseness and the hypocrisy and see the truth. And uh, all of those lies will melt away in that day. They're not going to be able to hide from Jesus Christ. They won't be able to do any of those things. You can't deceive him because he is the the truth. His vesture is dipped in blood. What's that blood? The same blood from Calvary that flowed down. Uh, it's going to be evidence that it's still, it's the same Jesus because he won't look the same. Uh, but here's the thing. When you reject Jesus in this life, when you reject him as Savior, one day you will see him. You will see him uh, and you will see the blood and the nail prints in his hand and the greatest gift that's ever been given to this world. Uh, you will see what you rejected before you spend eternity without him and I love uh, uh, in verse 13 of Revelation 19 one of his names is the word of God I like that today that's why we preach the word of God how else can you talk about Jesus except for using the Bible it's even part of his name Verse 14, and the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses clothed in fine linen, white and clean. I'm glad Jesus isn't coming alone. You know who he's coming with? He doesn't need us, but we're going to be behind him in white horses. We will be with him. Uh, the armies of heaven are there, and that army is the same one uh, and that talks about in verse 8 of the chapter uh, where it talks about, and to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. I'm glad it's not my righteousness, but his righteousness. So again, we left, uh, the, the church left the earth in chapter 4, and we're coming back with Jesus in chapter 19. Uh, and, and again, I, I believe that uh, it's supported with, uh, with Enoch and, and talked about in Thessalonians and everything else. But Jude talks about this same event as well. In Enoch also, in verse 14, the seventh from Adam prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to conceive and uh, convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and all of their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against them. And then Colossians 3, 4, When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall also uh, ye appear with him in glory. 1 Thessalonians 3, 13, To the end. He may establish your hearts unblameable in the holiness before God, even our Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. 
three times right there, four times. He is coming with us. We are going with him back to this earth and he is taking over. And here's the question. It, it, it seems obvious, but if, if Jesus is coming from heaven and we're, the saints are behind him and white horses coming from heaven, we couldn't have been on earth. We had to have been in heaven, right? And he couldn't have already been here because, again, we're coming, we're coming down. Every detail is important in the Bible. That's why I love it. It, it is so uh, cohesive. It all goes together. Then verse 15, and out of his mouth goeth the sharp sword that with it should smite the nations and he shall rule them with a rod of iron and treadeth the winepress of his fierceness and wrath of almighty God. And you think about that. If this has already been fulfilled, how are you going to explain that? Jesus isn't giving choices at this point. He is dividing and ruling. Right? With a rod of iron and a sharp, and a sharp sword. Then you go down to verse 19. Uh, you got the beasts, the kings of the earth, their armies. They're all gathered together. They're going to fight uh, against Jesus Christ. There are, every military weapon is going to be pointed at him. Uh, and then the right, the next verse, you see the loss start happening. The beast is taken, the false prophet. Uh, they, are, they are cast in the lake of fire, burning with brimstone, and the remnant were slain in verse 21. He eliminates every single enemy. He's not using us as fighters. We're just going to watch. We're just going to watch what happens. Every single enemy is gone. Not a single, he doesn't have to file, fire a single shot, drop a bomb, shoot an arrow, anything. You know what it says he uses? He uses a sharp sword out of his mouth. You know what that sharp sword is? Glad you asked. Hebrews 4.12 For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing even the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and it is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. He could literally just say scripture and it will wipe out every enemy. That's how powerful God is. And that's how powerful God's word is. And that's why, again, that's why we preach it and teach it. That's why I challenge you to study it and pray through it and everything else. Because there's nothing more powerful than God's word. He's going to conquer every enemy with the same Bible that we have today. Mm. It's powerful. So they're all going to make war. They're all going to be slain and face judgment. Uh, the, the beast, or, and, which is Satan, and the false prophet are both cast alive in the lake that burned with fire and brimstone. And all those kings that fought are completely destroyed, all the armies and everything else. And you think about that. So again, I'll go back to the false belief that I, I'm seeing uh, get more traction lately is we're going to uh, turn uh, this nation and other nations into a Christian nation, right? We're going we're gonna to change everything. We're going to install uh, you know, a Christian president and Christian governors and Christian this and Christian that. Well, if that actually happens around the world, then this verse can't be fulfilled because true Christian leaders aren't going to attack Jesus Christ, Right? It, it doesn't work. And God's word is true. And you can't somehow argue to me it has already been fulfilled or you're saying the devil's already locked up. And he's not. I wish he was, but he's not. He's still going to and fro seeking whom he may desire. He's still, uh, you know, he's still uh, going after the saints and everything else. There's no way this has been fulfilled. And it's clear because you go through Revelation chapter 4 through 19. There's so many things that haven't occurred yet. Uh, it's obvious that there are still parts of the Bible left to be fulfilled. So what's Jesus want us to do? 
He wants us to build his kingdom by telling people the gospel, leading people to Jesus Christ, right? Making disciples, one soul at a time. And, and here's the thing. I'm not saying our nation could never be changed. I'm not saying we, uh, th this place could never be different or never be better. But if this nation changed, it's because it will only come from a revival. And only a revival, not that we schedule, not that you know we put together, a revival that comes from heaven uh, here, you know, where, where lives are changed and everything else. But yet, uh, people will be saved, not in, by city, not by county, not by house. They're going to be saved one at a time because they accept Jesus Christ. And here's the thing. So what do we need to do? We need to share the gospel to the lost. We need to walk by faith. We need to pray for the lost. We need to, uh, people to see our lives that are changed. And I believe that revival can still happen. I believe that we can see revivals uh, that some of the older brothers have talked about and lived through. Uh, where they, they ran out of churches. They had to build more churches because there weren't enough. Because so many people got saved. Do I believe that's possible? Yes, because the same God that did it then is still the same God in charge today. But whether he will, I have no idea. But if he does, I hope we get to play a small part in it, don't you? But we've got to be ready. Because can you imagine if, if something like that happened, we would have way more work to do. I mean, you know, you, we, we think about we say, man, wouldn't it be great if this church was full and we'd have to, you know, knock it down and build a bigger one? Sure it would be, but I'll tell you what, we'd have a lot more work to do. If that many people got saved, we'd have a lot of baby Christians that need to learn a lot in a quick amount of time. Amen? And there'd be a lot of, Satan would instantly try to attack it with division and everything else. We'd have to be very careful. But I'm telling you what, he would help us if that ever happened. Because he would not send revival without having, helping each and every one of us to be ready for it and to step up to what he's called us to do. I'm still praying for him. Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not hence. He, he said, but now is my kingdom not hence because one day it will be. Yeah. Not today, but one day when we all return with him. You know what I'm looking for? The same thing Abraham was looking for. You know what he was looking for? A city which hath foundations whose builder and maker is God. Right? What else, did it, what else does it say in Hebrews 11? These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek another country. And truly, if they've been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. But now they desire a better country. That is a heavenly. Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. That that is what I'm looking for. A place that's not built with men's hands. But I'm looking for that new Jerusalem that's coming down from God out of heaven. And one day we will see it. Now does that mean we never vote? We never work to try to change laws and things like that? No. But that can't be our chief goal. Our chief goal is getting people to Jesus Christ. Because again, even if I could get all my neighbors to live righteously, that won't get them to heaven. That's what the Jews tried to do. And that's exactly what they were trying to do. If we could just overthrow the political power and make everybody follow the Ten Commandments and everything else, then suddenly life would be great for us. No, it wouldn't work. It would not work. We got the entire Old Testament to show us that would never work. But I'll tell you what will work. 
Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask everyone to stand tonight.